guys. Um, welcome. I, uh, my name is Heather. For those of you that I haven't had the opportunity to meet or it's your first time here, we're glad you're here. Um, sorry, <laughs> I got really distracted by the picture on the screen. Um, so if uh, you haven't been with us, we are going through this study called To Live is Christ, and we are walking through the book of Philippians. And so for the past couple of weeks, uh, we have walked through the first part of chapter one, and we've just looked at what it means to have Christ-centered friendships, you know, people that just aren't claiming to be Christians, but actually live like it. Um, and then we've also just looked at how we can glorify God, ways that we can do that. And we do that through sharing uh, the gospel and through honoring Christ with how we live. And so we're going to actually continue in the same thought tonight as we finish up chapter one and as we move into chapter two. Um, so we're just going to dig a little bit deeper in what that looks like to honor Christ with our life. Um, so I know we just prayed, but I'm going to pray again because it always just, it always helps. Father, I just thank you for tonight. I thank you for this opportunity that we have to open up your word, to look at scripture. God, I pray that we would see the truth that is in your word, God, that we would be able to apply it to our lives. God, I pray for these students, God, that you would just give them a hunger and a deep desire to know your word. God, that we would just be consumed by the message of the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to work in our lives, continue to change our hearts. Um, Lord, and just reveal yourself through your word tonight. God, give me clarity as I speak, um, and may you just um, reveal more of yourself to us tonight. We pray all this in your name. Amen. All right, so if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and flip over to Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 27, which is at the end of this chapter. Um, and we're going to actually read through the first couple of verses in chapter 2. So, um, if you, it'll also be on the screen for you guys. So it says this in Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 27. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or I am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose." Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. So there is a lot that is happening in this passage. So we're going to kind of break this, break this down a little bit. So in the very first verse that you see, verse 27, it says, um, as citizens of heaven. And your translation, depending on what version you have, it might say something like, let your manner of life. But in the original language, what this literally means is to live as a citizen of. 
Now, I don't know if any of you have had the opportunity to travel internationally, um, but thankfully I've had a couple of opportunities to travel to a handful of places like Lesotho and Belize and um, Haiti and Israel. Like I've had this opportunity to travel to various countries. And when I travel internationally, I become very aware of my actions and how people in these other countries view me because I never want to be that American. I never want to be that person that's looked at as like the rude or self-centered or obnoxious American. And so I'm extra aware of, you know, the tone of my voice and that I am saying thank you. Um, and so I'm aware that, you know, in some of these countries that I go to and some of these places that I've been, they probably haven't been introduced to many Americans. And so I know that the way that I act, uh, what I do, they are going to associate with Americans, whether it's good or bad. How I act is a representative of that. And so just know that any person, whatever country they're from, wherever they travel to, they represent whatever country is on their passport. They become this representative to other countries um, as to what the people are like, what they value, what they do. And so the point that we see here that Paul is making is that when you become a believer, you become a citizen of heaven. You become this representative to the culture and to the world around you of what God's kingdom is like and what it's all about. And so he's saying, hey, you represent, you are a citizen of heaven. And so behave the way a citizen of heaven is supposed to behave. I, I want to be clear that you don't behave in order to like earn your way to heaven. That's not the point that Paul is making here. It's not that, you know, your good works and, you know, being a stand-up citizen is what gets you into heaven. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, behave because this is a response to what has already been done. Your name is already written in heaven. You are a citizen, and so live like it. So after this phrase, um, as a citizen, of, he goes on to say, he says in that same verse, verse 27, he says, live your life worthy of the gospel. This statement right here in verse 27 is kind of like the thesis statement. If you've ever had to write a paper, you know that you have to have like a thesis statement in it. It's showing that this is the whole point that you're arguing for throughout the rest of your paper. This is Paul's thesis statement. He's saying the rest of this letter that I'm writing, like it all goes back to this point that you are to live a life worthy of the gospel. So what does it actually mean to live a life worthy of the gospel and how do we do it? This word worthy right here, um, it, it gives the idea of to um, in keeping with. And so in the original language, it actually gives this picture of scales, not like, you know, a lizard scales or like the kind that you step on to like see how much you weigh. But it's more of like a picture of this, of balancing scales. And so if you, uh, this was used in order to um, determine the weight of something. So you would put a weight on one side and then on the other side, you would add or take away in order to get it balanced, in order to get the same measurement. And so to live a life worthy of the gospel simply means that you live a life that matches what you say you believe. 
Do you live a life that matches what you say you believe? Because as a believer, as somebody that claims to be a follower of of Christ, we say all of these things that we claim to believe. We claim to say, you know, we, we show love to everybody that we meet. We claim to uh, be compassionate and kind towards other people. We, we claim all of these things, but do the actions actually match up with what you say? Or is your life off balance? Do the scales not match up? That's this picture that Paul is painting here of do the scales even out? Is your life a representation of the gospel? And I want you to understand something, because I think this is something that um, can get a little confused. That the gospel is not something that you experience as a one-and-done thing. That the gospel is not just this, you hear about it, and then you decide to put your faith and trust in Jesus, and then that is the extent of the gospel. It's not a one-and-done thing. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, that Jesus came to take on my deserved punishment, the sin that I committed by going to the cross, he took on my deserved death. And he satisfied this demand for for payment that God had. And then it's through his resurrection that he defeated death, that he conquered death that he now sits at the right hand of the Father as, a, as our living Savior. Understand that um, this is something that we encounter every day. That every day that we wake up, we should be in awe of the gospel. That we should be in awe of what Jesus has done. That we should recognize that living like a citizen of heaven is not out of some forced obedience but it's a response to the goodness of God and what he has done. The truth of the gospel should change you. The truth of the gospel should change you. It should change our priorities. It should change what we value. It should alter how we live. Do you live differently because of the gospel? Or are you the same as you were before you claimed to have come to know Christ? Because your life should look different. I know that growing up in the church, and I say this because I've been there and because I've experienced it, I know that growing up in the church, it is so easy to become numb to the gospel. It is so easy to tune it out. It's so easy to think that, yeah, I've heard it all before. Jesus came, he was born, he died on the cross for my sins, he was buried, he rose again three days later, got it. I know the gospel. And you just begin to tune it out because it's something that you've heard over and over again if you have grown up in the church. But the gospel should have a daily impact on your life. It should change everything about us. What we believe, how we live, everything should change. And so to live a life worthy of the gospel is to use the gospel as a filter of how we see everything else in life and to live a life that matches what we claim to believe. And I know that um, for some of you, 
you have an opportunity to live as a citizen of heaven to people that are in your schools, in your neighborhood, on your sports team, and you are going to be the only representative of heaven that they will ever meet. And so do you take this, uh, this responsibility seriously? Can the people around you tell that you are actually a representative of heaven? Are you somebody that represents well? If you claim to be a follower, if you claim to be a believer, are you somebody that is representing Christ well in the areas and the places where nobody knows who Jesus is? And so this is the point that Paul's making is, hey, live a life that matches what you say you believe. Don't be a hypocrite. Paul then, he goes on uh, in verse 27, and he says, Whether I come to you and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. So Paul, he is telling this church in Philippi, Philippi to strive for unity. Now that he's told them to live a life that matches what they claim to believe, he's encouraging them to promote and to protect the message of the gospel. This phrase, contending together, in some of your translations, it may say strive together. It actually conveys this idea of the need for a joint effort. And so the original uh, language, the original word, it's actually where we get our word athletics from in the English language. And so it's this picture of a team working together in order to achieve one common goal. So if you think about any sports team, the team has to work together to achieve one common goal, even though their positions may be different. So I think of basketball because that's what I grew up playing. If you're in a game and you have the five players on your team that are all trying to be like big men down in the paint, you have nobody that's on the perimeter guarding three-point shooters. You have nobody that's able to handle the ball, bring the ball up court. It doesn't work. It doesn't function like that. And so it's this idea and this picture that everybody has a different role to play but they're all striving for the same purpose. They're all striving for the same goal. And that's what this picture is that Paul's painting when he says, contend together for the gospel. When we strive together, we're, it's this side-by-side -side picture of being single-minded, having the same focus, having the same objective. And so we see here that the gospel becomes their sole point of reference. It's because of the gospel, that's their goal, that's their purpose, that's what they're striving for. And it's because of the gospel that they are able to work towards unity, that they would be unified in their desire to make the gospel known. But I love Paul because he's also very honest in what he tells them. Um, so if you go down into verse 28, Paul says that you're going to face opposition. He's like, but don't be afraid of the opponent's that come at you. He's saying um, all throughout scripture, we actually see where God, um, he tells his people, you know, I will fight for you. And so it's this picture of like, don't worry about the opposition that comes to you when you begin to contend for the gospel because God's got you. God's going to fight for you. And so in verse 29, he even goes as far as to say that there's going to be conflict or struggles that you're going to face, but count it as a privilege that Jesus, he suffered for us. And so to go through uh, suffering is also an honor. 
we see throughout scripture, especially in the New Testament, where suffering is regarded as this way or this means that uh, God is uh, strengthening believers. He's using it to make us more like him. And so Paul, he's very honest in saying that, hey, in this pursuit of the gospel, in this pursuit of making the gospel known, you're going to come against opposition, but don't worry about it. God's got you. He's using you and he is refining you to make you more like him. And so this should change our outlook on the hardships that we face uh, when it comes to uh, making the gospel known. That oftentimes when um, faith and persecution, they tend to go hand in hand throughout church history. And you even see that within scripture where when the gospel is being spread, when the light of the gospel is being spread, darkness often tries to overcome it. But darkness, um, it can never defeat the gospel. It can never defeat the light. And so this should change our mindset of how we view struggles and persecution and hardships, that it's worth it. That those moments when you feel like you are the odd man out, those moments when you feel like you are alone, those moments when you feel like you are maybe even being made fun of, that all of these are worth it as we struggle together uh, for making the gospel known. And so Paul, he even, uh, in the very last verse in chapter one, Paul encourages them because he's saying, you know what, I've, I've been there and I am currently there. I'm currently facing these hardships and these struggles and these persecutions. And there's just something about knowing that you aren't alone in your struggle that makes it easier to walk through. And so Paul is offering encouragement to his, uh, his fellow believers of that, hey, you're not alone in this because I walk through it with you. And so after Paul has provided this encouragement, he then jumps back into giving them instructions. And so um, he in verse, or sorry, in chapter two, verse one, he begins to, to give new instructions to them. And he does this thing where he begins to ask some like if then statements, these like conditional statements in order to really provoke thought in order to get the Philippians to really reflect on whether these certain qualities that he's about to list out um, are actually evident in their life. And so he's going to ask these thought-provoking questions, but he does it in a way where he's like, I already know the answer to this. He's like, I already know that the answer is yes to these. I'm only asking you because I want you to begin to think about it. I want you to begin to recognize it. And so in verse one, um, he begins to ask these questions, or he's, I guess I should say, make statements. He says, if then there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any affection and mercy, he's saying, if you have experienced any of these blessings because of the gospel, and Paul knows, he's like, man, I know that they have experienced these things because I've experienced these things. I know that I have received these because of Christ in my life. And he's like, then these three things that I'm about to talk about should be the result of you have come to experience Christ. And so the three things that we're going to uh, just quickly talk about before we head out into our life groups is the first one that he talks about is that, man, there should be unity. He says in verse two, by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Unity, I want you to understand, does not equal uniformity. It does not mean all the same. It means that despite the fact that there are differences, you can come together and work towards the same goal 
to have one common purpose. The purpose that we see presented here is the gospel. Pointing back to what we had talked about earlier, it's this picture of a team working together that through differences, we can strive towards the same goal, that those differences actually come together to help us in pursuit of our common goal. The next one that we should see is that there should be humility. In verse three, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. This word right here, selfish ambition, it paints this picture of self-promotion. It's this thought of, hey, don't do anything out of a desire to make yourself look good. Don't do anything out of a desire to make your name known. Don't do anything out of this desire to be in the spotlight. Is this picture that's being painted. Humility, it's not about like the words that you speak, but it's about the attitude of your heart. And so humility, if you were to look it up in the uh, dictionary, it's defined as a modest or a low view of one's own importance. It's set aside, it's setting aside your own wants your own desires and viewing others as more important than yourself. And so how do you actually achieve humility? Because it's not something that you can like wake up one day and be like, I'm going to be humble. That's just pride speaking, if that's the case. Humility is not something that we can like create or cultivate within ourselves, but it's when we look at Jesus and we realize who he is and what he's done that you can't help but be humbled. Because we evaluate ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. We recognize all that God has done for us despite our, that we're so undeserving of it. And so it's through that that we begin to have this mindset of humility. The last one um, that Paul is saying that should be exhibited is in verse 4. When he says, everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interests of others. This last one is this idea and this thought of selflessness. The word interest that is used here, it's not saying like, hey, you know, get look out for other people's like hobbies and like the things that they enjoy doing. That's not the thought here. The thought here is get to know what other people's needs are what their concerns are, the situations that they're in, the things that matter to them, the things that weigh heavy on their heart. Look out for those things in other people. Because Paul knows that naturally we are inclined to look out for our own interest. It's really, like, it's not hard to know the struggles and the things that I'm going through and to really just have my mindset, okay, how do I like get through this? How do I fix this? How do I, you know, whatever it is. But then when I look at other people, it's like I can get blinded to their needs because I'm so consumed with my own. And so Paul, he's painting this picture of, man, like how can you serve and love those around you? Not that, you know, the things that you are going through, that they're not important. That, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, but man, there are other people around you that you are not the uh, the center of the world. And so Look out for uh, the interests of others. And so when we begin to exhibit these three characteristics, what we're actually exhibiting is the mind of Christ. And we get to do that, and we get to exhibit the mind of Christ to the world around us, pointing back to this thought of being a citizen of heaven. 
we're going to be able to actually um, dig into this thought a little bit more in the coming weeks. Um, but tonight, I just really want y'all to, to really leave with this, this thought or this question. That in order to live a life that is worthy of the gospel, in order to live a life that matches what we say we believe, then we have to have the same mindset as Christ. That we have to have a mindset that strives for unity in all things. That we seek to have humility and that we practice selflessness. And so for those of you that are in here that claim to actually be a follower of Jesus, somebody that claims to believe in him, does the way that you live your life match up with what you say you believe? Are you living a life that is worthy of the gospel? That Christ and his amazing love for us has done the unthinkable, that he came and he took our place and that because of him, we have access to heaven and all that God has to offer because of what he did. And so are you living a life um, that is worthy of that? And if not, what needs to change? Is knowing Jesus just something that's like a head thing for you, that you know the facts and you know who Jesus is? But is there actual heart change? Does your life match up? Because remember that we are representatives, that we get to be this representative of heaven on earth to the people around us that don't know who Jesus is. And so are you representing well? Um, so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to head off into our life groups. Father, I just pray for um, these students as they head off into life groups, God, that we would just begin to evaluate um, our own lives and how we live, Lord, that we would strive to be representatives of the gospel, that people around us that don't know you, that they would be able to to see something different within us. Lord, I pray that um, just these these thoughts of um, of unity and, and humbleness and selflessness, God, the, the mindset of Christ, that we would begin to evaluate, are these characteristics of how we live our life? Lord, that as believers, um, that even within this room, Lord, that we should be striving for um, the same goal, the same purpose, um, to make your gospel known. So, Father, um, I just we love you, we praise you, and I pray that you would be with us in our groups. And hear my prayer. Amen.